You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It is another edition of Phillies Today. I'm your host, James Seltzer. It is Monday, April the 27th as we get back into it after a nice weekend a weekend that had a little nfl draft action which just gave us a chance to once again feel somewhat normal again and of course the eagles go and take jalen hurts in the second round and make everyone feel angry and uh normal you know like we like to do get really angry about something that doesn't mean that much that is the beauty of sports i hope everyone had a wonderful weekend i hope they enjoyed the draft i hope people are Getting through the daily grind of, of less to do, but the importance of staying home and all that type of stuff. I hope everyone is doing well, Stay staying safe and staying healthy. Uh, later this week, we will get back to the Mount Rushmore action as we've got some more, just a few more Mount Rushmores to get into and um, continue to have some fun and hopefully provide a distraction and a, um, a little time to, to focus on some things that don't suck as much as everything does right now, but... Today, Jeff Passan giving us a little shred of hope as Jeff Passan earlier today puts out the article and says, Passan's 20 questions, and it says, there will be baseball in 2020. There will be MLB in 2020. It's just a matter of when, where, and how. Shout out Jeff Passan. That is beautiful news. That makes us feel all warm and fuzzy on the inside. Let's go through the article, go through what Jeff had to say, and how it could work, and all that will go through point by point. It's passing rights. The MLB season should have turned one month old Sunday. Rather than lament that, let's instead fill the emptiness with a discussion about when the season will start. Yes, will. Over the past two weeks, as states have begun their reopenings, nearly everyone along the decision-making continuum League officials, players, union leaders, owners, doctors, politicians, TV power brokers, team executives has grown increasingly optimistic that there will be baseball this year. This optimism is guarded and cautious with la- and laden with caveats. It exists in a reality twisted by the coronavirus, one that acknowledges what seems possible today may not be necessarily possible tomorrow. So he says there are a million questions. He's going to answer 20 of the most pertinent. Let's dive into what he had to say. As again, just off the cuff, I think this is um, this is really positive. All right. So the first question is, okay, then what's the latest? And Passon says, lots and nothing. It's a contradictory existence in which the baseball world is doing everything it can to prepare for games without any firm plan in place for when those games will be played. In a letter to those covered by the uniform employee contract last week, Commissioner Rob Manfred Moat wrote, while I fully anticipate that baseball resume this season, it's difficult to predict with any accuracy the timeline for the resumption of our season. 
Um, he goes on to say that nearly every team is guaranteed um, employees payment through May 31st. And he says the end of May is not a drop dead date if there isn't a plan in place um, and goes on. All right. So he says, why? Let's consider the delicate push and pull of a return. Locking in a plan before the country reopens, before anyone understands the consequences of it, good and bad, runs a certain level of risk. Because of its calendar, MLB could very easily wait until the end of May to decide on its plan and still be the first sport to return. Of course, the sooner it decides, the more games it gets. First, there's the basic questions that precipitate a return. Where will the games be played? Well, the easy answer, according to Passon, is Arizona where the governor has welcomed the idea of hosting all 30 teams. However, logistical issues abound. We've also heard a four-city plan, a three-city plan. There have been a bunch of different options for this and how it could work out, but I do think that the crux of it is that they're saying that there will be baseball and they will figure out how and that they just don't want to jump in feet first, which makes sense. Um, passing goes on. Just look at the opportunities starting in early May. Arizona, Georgia, Florida, Texas, Colorado, Minnesota are among the states. Slated to have stay-at-home restrictions lifted. That means more than a quarter of teams could theoretically host games without fans right now. Which isn't going to happen, of course, Passing says, but illustrates just how quickly the landscape can change. Now, waiting, frustrating though it may be, could allow for a widest array of routes. He goes on to say the MLB can learn too from other paths, uh, from the paths of others. For example, the Korean Baseball League getting back into action to see how that kind of plays out. Um, the world's top soccer leagues, Passon says, hope to return in June and have a quarantine plan similar to Major League Baseball's and a few others. So um, I do think that's an interesting theory, the idea of giving these other leagues a chance to kind of set the precedent and play off them. Passing goes on. To say, speaking of testing, is of course the tests um, that would be necessary to be used for any sort of quarantine plan. That's another vital question for the MLB. Will testing be widespread enough for the league that could reasonably test players, managers, coaches, umpires, the many others involved in making the games work? If it was supposed to be in April, uh, it was supposed to be in April. The United States per capita testing rate pale in comparison to the rest of the world. Baseball officials were told it would be feasible in May. It's not. So he goes on to say, the MLB, because of its financial might and experience with drug testing, almost certainly would be able to procure a sufficient amount of tests. The optics, though, matter too much for it to be that simple. It goes beyond testing. When the MLB is hunting for hundreds of smart thermometers, so are other businesses and hospitals. All of this gets to having the pan back by the end of May. The testing, it's going to take time, he says. Potential locations revealing themselves ditto. Some officials are convinced the MLB will decide long before them, but a decision in May dovetails with a timeline that a number of people in decision-making positions see as realistic. See, that's very crucial and important, the idea that whether or not MLB could procure the test is only part of it. It's The other point is the optics of getting those tests, of... of a situation where if there are hospitals, there are people who need the test that don't get them, but players are getting tested on a daily basis. I agree. That doesn't look good and is not a route they should take. Um, so Passon goes on. Uh, he says the most realistic timeline is to finalize a plan in May. Hash out an agreement with the players by the end of the month or early June. Give players a week to arrive to a designated spring training location. Prepare for three weeks, start the season in July, play somewhere between an 80 and 100 game season in July, August, September, and October, 
and hold an expanded playoff at warm weather and neutral sites in November. So I would be fine with that type of plan. Um, again, anything that's going to get them out there playing baseball, I'm okay with no fans in the Sams. I'm okay with neutral sites. I'm okay with adjusting to whatever needs to be adjusted to because that's the world that we're living in and we need to take what we can get as far as it goes with this. Um, he goes on to say, um, now this is not set in stone, but from the league to the players, to the owners, to the TV executives, this or some d- derivation of it registers as the most realistic option at this point. So again, it's good that everyone is involved. This is the teams, the, the ownership, the players. Everyone is clued in on this, and I think that's important as well, something to note and something to keep an eye on. He goes on to say, uh, it's really all just mix and match. What import, what's important are the number of games, the number of teams in play. Everything else is adjustable. Consider a three-hub plan in a 100-game season in July and August with 10 teams at each hub. Every team plays two three-game series against all nine opponents. That's 54 games. With travel practically non-existent, Phoenix, Dallas, and Tampa each will have five stadiums within an hour radius. That sort of schedule is eminently doable. It also offers the ability to reassess the status of the country come September. If more states are confident they can house teams, perhaps the number of hubs grows or the teams simply go home altogether. Now, that seems unlikely, but it also does kind of put a premium on who you're playing with, right? I mean, on who's in what part of the country. It's a massive premium on that. That is a really interesting angle to this as well. Uh, That's a best-case scenario if the second wave of coronavirus arrives and threatens to shut down the country. Again, MLB could try and wait it out or just hold a giant playoff. A giant playoff, he says, with a question mark. Uh, Pazin says when he said they're considering everything, he meant everything. Everyone wants to close this thing to a 162-game schedule. The absence of that or anything resembling it, however, doesn't necessarily preclude something truly imaginative from taking place. Give us 60 days, one official said, and we could run an amazing tournament. So this is interesting. Passing throws a few ideas where potentially every team plays a four-game series against each division opponent with an off day in between. Two best teams from each division advance. Um, The six American League teams advance and congregate at one hub. Six National League teams at another, blah, blah, blah. Then there's a play-in winner. Um, There's a lot. Of ideas here. A seven game World Series would be a part of that. 60 days on the dot. That'd be with a seven game LCS prior to that. Five game division series. Um, in this format, every team would be guaranteed at least 24 games and one full month of baseball. Further, every game would really matter, but a stumble in the first round robin wouldn't necessarily be a season ender. So it'd be a round robin for the first round and then a winner uh, take all type of tournament after that. It's obviously not ideal and not representative of season, as Passon says, but I mean, it could be really fun. It could be super entertaining. And again, at this point, look, I would prefer they find a way to play a 80-100 game season and then go the playoffs from there and, and find a way to do that. But obviously, look, if if it's a question of no baseball or baseball, and this is the only way to have baseball, I, it's not much of a question for me. I mean, this I will take a, a sprint to the finish. And look, if you want to look at it as, as well, they're not the, the true champion or, or it's an asterisk season, yeah, of course, sure, agreed. But I think anything is better than nothing when it comes to baseball. And if this is the, the way it has to shake out where it's a 60-day 
tournament where every game matters and there's just pure excitement and everything that happens, then that's great. I'm fine with that. Again, it's not ideal. I'm not going to look at whoever wins this tournament as a true champion of the 2020 season. But when it comes down to would I rather have baseball in 2020 or not, it's pretty simple. And again, I, I, I like... I think that's the reality we're at. And I've heard a lot of people talk about, well, I'd rather wait and and not, you know, bastardize the sport or this or that. And I just, I don't get that. Like, I'd rather have baseball than not have baseball. It's that simple. And even if they're games that aren't as meaningful uh, in in the historical sense, even if it's something where the stats don't matter or we don't look back on it as as a true season, that's fine. I just want baseball. Passing goes on. He says, so you haven't talked much about the Arizona plan. Is it dead? He says, no, it's just suffering from enough skepticism to make it seem that way. The Arizona plan would essentially turn the MLB into a city within a city, as we've talked about multiple times on here. Um, A veritable biosphere that could contain lots of people constantly test and ensure security. Uh, In a vacuum, apparently the biosphere is is the ideal way to operate, according to Pass, and the preferred method of epidemiologists, including Dr. Ali Khan, who, as the athletic report, is advising MLB on how to safely approach its season. Unfortunately, the world does not exist in a vacuum, Pass says. Players do not want to separate from their families, and the MLBPA has made it clear, which would add another 1,000-plus people to an already massive contingent lining up logistics, Smooth running operation is also daunting when other options may exist. So that's a bummer. And look, I understand players not wanting to be away from their family and stuff, but you know, I also would prefer baseball over not baseball. And and you know, if you get paid a lot of money to go do it, I look, I get it. I I understand. Who am I to tell people they have to leave their families? But I also think that it, the most important thing is to do this as safely and intelligently as we possibly can. And if that means that some sort of biosphere is the best way to do it, then that's what it is. Um, but again, um, I understand. So Manfred, this is really the, the, the key question here, passing asks, what gives Rob Manfred and others so much confidence that there will be a season? And he says, incentive. It's not just that everyone wants a season. It's the doom and gloom over what will happen if there isn't one. And what are some of those things? For example, the players won't get paid. Instead of a $4 billion plus in collective salary they're owed, they'll get $170 million that they negotiated in late March. That money runs out. You know, I mean, that's a big deal. The players will head new year, which a collective bargaining agreement expires, and the owners will be bracing for the fight to reap as much money as they can to make up for the losses in 2020. Everyone gets a year older, and while agreement players agreement grants players a full year of service in the event of a lost season, those who reach free agency are greeted with a depressed market. These are important things. I understand that players might not want to go play without their families, but at the same time, these are the repercussions. Not only do you not get paid for the season, but you're also creating a marketplace when you are a free agent at the end of the season that's going to be depressed. Teams aren't going to be spending as much money if they don't make any money. I mean, it's just a, it's just a fact. That's just the way it's going to work. So it is a bit of a conundrum there. Um, but I understand both sides. Um, passing goes on to say... Um, now, uh, it's possible, even if games are played, that the market isn't depressed and whatnot, but they're far likelier in an environment where the two sides haven't worked together to create a forward-looking partnership. So he's saying, you know, those types of outcomes are, are likely if the players and the owners can't get on the same page here. Um, he says a partnership question mark. He goes, again and again, I hear word from people around the sport who consider themselves pragmatists. 
They see amid the awfulness of COVID-19 is wrought, the death, the sickness, the economic ruin, the fear, the uncertainty, a chance for baseball to do some good. They sat wrapped this week watching the NFL draft, which was as much an extraordinarily well-produced three-day-long Zoom call as it was sports. And yet here we have 55 million people eyeballs glued. Imagine games, real live games and what they could mean. And that's a big deal. Like, I think that that's something where, while I understand there are issues with these plans and the biosphere plan and all that, at the same time, there is also a lot of good that comes from it. The idea that it, you can help a nation move forward, and I, I'm not meaning that, and that is not hyperbole. I and mean, that's just the truth. So he goes on to say, they envision both sides recognizing that amid a nightmare is baseball's dream. A sporting landscape with literally nothing else. A rapt audience. A chance to sell the sport with a blank canvas for television production. An avenue to make stars they've lacked. An investment in the future, even if this year is a loss for all parties. It's interesting. So I do think that's important. And he goes on to say, not, uh, not just a partnership between players and owners who have their differences, but among players. Unequivocal unity in a 1,200-person unit is impossible. But the fractures in the current one are easy enough to spot. As Mike Trout and Clayton Kershaw and others have decried the Arizona plan, hundreds of players shook their heads in disagreement. They want to play. They've got bills to pay and skills to hone. If they have to live in quarantine, so be it. And I think that's a really important part of this. We talked about the whole Mike Trout of it all. You know, We talked about that that day when he came out and said that. I know Clayton Kershaw said it too. But... That doesn't mean that they speak for everyone. There's a lot of players who want to play, and if it's a quarantine, that's what it is, who need to play, who need the money. So that's something that, that I think that ultimately, you know, the union's going to have to figure out what they're going to do. Um, but that is something that has to be kept, you know, at the forefront of the discussion. Passing goes on to say TV deals may change. Finding a fair distribution of revenue to ensure teams can, can pay players will take working with one another because while one year without baseball is unlikely to bankrupt any team, the financial situations of several are shaky. Whether it's an inability to pay down debt or lack of resources from other businesses to generate cash flow and help cover the team, several teams fear the cancellation of a season. Teams could lose lines of credit for next year in such a scenario. And the lack of access to cash is compounded by the possibility of no fans or at least fewer than the pre-coronavirus days. So he says, clearly then if both sides incentives align, one, once there's a plan in place, it should be rubber stamped. And he said, not even close. What's the problem? Money. He says, seriously, this is all going to fall apart because of money? He says, probably not, because it would be so catastrophically stupid, so indescribably short-sighted and so terribly selfish that some adult in the room will ensure it never got to that point. But once MLB hatches its plan and gets ownership approval, money is going to be an issue. And it all goes back to the deal the players signed in late March, players and owners. So this is fascinating. Some teams contend that they could actually lose money if games are played. The rationale is that local and national TV money will not cover their operating costs. And if that's the case, they would like players who already have agreed to be paid a prorated portion of the season, depending on the number of games, to take an even greater pay cut. Multiple officials with the union simply do not believe Major League Baseball will lose money by playing games. They flatly reject the idea of taking any sort of financial haircut. 
not just because the union believes it's a strong legal ground that wouldn't have to take uh, a, a pay cut, but um, it has told the players as much. So this is a fascinating, fascinating situation as well, is that the, how does the money shake out if they do play a season? MLB could argue that, um, as Passon says, that similar language that ties together the resumption of play with player benefits and the resumption of play depends on the good faith discussion about economically feasible it is to play in front of no fans. The revenue issue is with no fans is real. The counter-argument believes that the agreement answers that. So there's a lot of legalese, a lot of interesting stuff here um, showing that there are more hurdles to jump through. This is not as straightforward as you would think it would be. You know, it's like basically like figure this out and play baseball. This shouldn't be that hard, right? I mean, no, it's not true. That's not fair. In terms of once they have a, 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 a safe way to do it is my point. Like obviously this is very complicated and there are a lot of facets to it. But I mean in terms of like, um, you know, if everything is cleared from a safety and health standpoint and they have a plan that works, then, you know, that, that you wouldn't think that the money would be something that would get in the way, but it is. And look, we talk about that all the time. Ultimately, this is a business and that's, you know, kind of really what it always comes back to. And, um, ultimately he says, look, this isn't perfect. Players want their money. Now owners want players to take a measure of bath. Know what? Neither is possible. Perfect is impossible. Compromise may be the closest thing to perfection that we've got. And he's right. Look, ultimately, this is going to have to come up with a compromise. He says most teams have done the right thing by paying their employees through March, but officials are concerned cash poor teams could start eliminating jobs. That's an issue. How will teams handle the stats first scouts balance when play returns? If the season goes through November, what does that mean for free agency or spring training? Does the Rule 5 draft happen? There are so many factors. If the hub system includes a number of stadiums without robust in-house technology, uh, instant replay, is that an issue? And one more thing to remember, Passon says, at the end of the article, he says, one more thing to remember is the MLBP, MLB and MLBPA look headed to a, toward a fight about money during a global pandemic. He talks about the draft could see an 87.5 decline in players selected. The elimination of 40 teams could result in 11 or 1,000 baseball players being out of jobs. That's the minor leaguers. For as much as owners believe the draft is a money pit, and for the rationale there's some reason to cut those teams, maybe fewer, fewer people, play, people playing baseball is never, ever a good thing. So I think the big takeaway here is that everyone involved feels like they will figure out a way to play baseball, that at some point baseball will be played. We don't know where. We don't know how. We don't know all those things. But at some point they will find a way to play baseball. But underneath it all, there are a lot of question marks here. There are a lot of what ifs, a lot of situations that need to be figured out to make this work. Now, I agree with Passon's core point of the whole article, which is basically that they'll figure it out. That one way or another, when it's all said and done, they will figure out a way to be able to play games. And whether it's a shortened season, whether it's a tournament format, whatever it is, because look, again, it's all fluid. And that's a key point with all this too, is that optimism can only do so much. If you can't do it, you can't do it. But ultimately it does feel like there is justified optimism as we're starting to see with states opening up and all that, that there could be baseball and that he believes that while there are a ton of hurdles to climb, as we heard with this article, it's almost confusing me as I'm reading it and doing it. There are so many issues that need to be figured out that even with all of that, 
that the upside of getting this done, of being the first sport to return, of having the sports landscape to yourself will all make it worthwhile for everyone involved. And it does seem like there is some disagreement among the individual groups themselves. Like, it seems like certain owners aren't, you know, as excited about returning if they're not going to make the money they thought they were. It seems like certain players are don't want to go and quarantine and do what they have to do to make it happen. And all these things are going to have to get figured out. So while this article is a positive, it makes me feel positive that baseball will be coming back and feel very good about it. It doesn't, it's not a slam dunk. I mean, there's still some real core issues here that need to be discussed and need to be figured out. And um, hopefully, hopefully that with all that's at stake with the return of baseball and what it means to people and all that, that they'll be able to find a way to figure it all out because there's a lot of questions. I'm sure they will. Honestly, I agree with Passon and with this, the sources he spoke to there, which basically say that, you know, essentially when it's all said and done, that someone will be able to say, all right, let, 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 we have to get past this. We need baseball to happen, and, and they will find a way to do it. But there's some worries in there. It's some concerns. But I think ultimately that the main headline – there will be baseball in 2020. There will be MLB in 2020. I think that is the key. That is the most important thing. And I don't think Pazin puts that out there unless they feel incredibly confident they'll be able to figure it out. All right, tomorrow we'll get back to a little bit more fun. As, look, this is fun. This is positive, but there's still a lot of question marks there. We'll continue to dive into that and some of the other things going on with baseball. And we'll bring back the Mount Rushmore's as well. So until then, everyone, have a wonderful rest of your day. Stay safe, stay healthy, and until tomorrow, thank you for listening to another edition of Phillies Today right here on the Phillies 24-7 Network. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.